Welcome to the Book Squad Podcast, 94% bookish banter, 6% shenanigans. From Lawrence Public Librarians, Kate Bramlick and Polly Kim. Hey, Kate. Hi, Polly. So, uh, what do we want to say this time? Uh, well, What's, what episode is this? The Numero 12th. 12? Oh, 12 was always my lucky number I as a kid. I think it is. 12th yeah. is a lucky number. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's and it's do on this. Friday the 13th. Oh, so does that cancel each other yes, out? Yes, it's going to be a pretty neutral episode. Okay. All okay. right. Let's go for it. So uh, we are in the Sound and Vision studio at the Lawrence Public Library again. Yes, and, we are. Uh, feeling very cozy. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got some bookish news and then two book minimum as usual. And then she said, she said, so our typical shedge. Yeah, I'm. I'm interested in today. Mm-hmm. We don't. We don't agree. No, we don't. For, for one once, time, for once, yeah. On a book. Uh huh. So we'll see how it goes. Hold on to your hats, everybody. Yes. Put a hat on and then hold on. To it. <laughs> <laughs> good. Good advice. Okay. So all right. So you you go first. So in Bookish news, um, the 2017 National Book Awards shortlist has been announced, um, and for fiction. We've got Dark at the Crossing by Elliot Ackerman, The Leavers by Lisa Ko, which we also have as an ebook on Hoopla, so you mm. can access that at any time. Uh, Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Her Body and Other Parties, which is stories by Carmen Maria Machado, and a personal favorite, mm. Seeing Unburied Sing by Jasmine Ward, who's I'm a huge fan girl for her. She's She's lovely. She's wonderful, and she's got adorable babies. She is wonderful. And, oh, my gosh. You know, I, I got to touch her I know. I don't want to talk about it. I know. This is not fair. That's all I'm saying. Not fair. So, she's also been announced recently as a genius uh-huh. for the MacArthur. MacArthur genius. So mm-hmm. we were talking about this as this is my third genius. That so you know of. That I know of. Yeah. I may have met more geniuses. Geni? We'll have to ask one of them. <laughs> I think we're twin talking. Right? Yeah. So um, Karen Russell. Karen Russell. And then George Saunders, who uh-huh. we'll talk about later. And then uh, Jessamyn Ward. Oh, it's not, you're just like a genius magnet. I, oh, I'm, that's like, nice. I'm uh, hang out with you. I've, oh. oh, oh. <laughs> Wait, was that calling me a, a genius? Oh, good. Okay. I thought you said, and then I hang out with you like, oh, oh like a doofus. Wow. <laughs> It's, Never mind. It's too early in the morning. I read to be an harsh. insult into that, and you were not <laughs> insulting me. I was trying to be nice. Gosh darn it! Oh, man. All right. Well, um, what else you got? One other quick piece of news is that um, Ishiguro is the uh, Kazuo Ishiguro is the Nobel Laureate for Literature winner, um, and I have not read any of his stuff. I know. Where oh. I haven't either, and I think we need to maybe challenge ourselves. Yeah. Because people really Clearly, love him. he's great. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's the Nobel laureate. I know. Yeah. Which is pretty good. They don't give that to just anybody. Uh, Eli really likes him a lot. Yeah. And who um, else? Does Kimberly read him? Everybody some but of us. Our, everyone but Probably. us. Probably. Yeah. Some of our other book squad. Yeah. Book squadians. So um, maybe. <laughs> so we need, to, we need to get on that. Maybe that will be one of our... She said. She said. Books in the okay. future. Let's right. put that. Let's put that in the hopper. Someone remind us later. Okay. That's what we said. Please write in and remind us. <laughs> Keep closely. Yeah. Okay. What you um, got? I have that Sisters in Crime is turning thirty this year. And what 
is that? Sisters in Crime is uh, a syndicate mm-hmm. <laughs> of women. Okay. It was actually, um, I believe, that um, the founder who is from here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Was there co Kansas City or from Lawrence? No, she was from Lawrence. Oh, cool. No, she lived other places. But Sarah Paretsky oh. is who I'm talking about. And she, um, I saw her speak in May, mm-hmm. and she was, she just tore it. We might have talked about this. She did an amazing, amazing speech, and I really hope that someone recorded it, and it lives mm-hmm. somewhere. But um, but so Sisters in Crime um, started to bring more attention to women writing in mystery and, and crime and thriller and um, and really to get them um, more attention and get them parody mm-hmm. of pay because mm-hmm. they were not being paid. Even in writing, this happens. They were not being paid what their male counterpart mm-hmm. authors were being. And so um, in 30 years, some of the initiatives that they've implemented um, is they've is the Review Monitoring Project, which is an ongoing effort since their inception to track percentages of reviews devoted to works by women authors in a variety of outlets. Oh, okay. So they're making sure that women are getting seen uh and reviewed. Um, The Eleanor Taylor Bland Award for Writers of Color, the Dorothy Cannell Cannell Scholarship for Unpublished Writers, grants for academic research into the roles of women and underserved voices in crime fiction, cash awards to libraries and bookstores. Oh, really? um, That support uh, sisters uh, in crime authors, publication of books which offer professional guidance to aspiring and established writers, um, an e-blast with industry articles and... uh, that help women writers negotiate for parity. Uh, what else do they have? Um, workshops, like technique workshops and um, into writing craft, surveys and monitoring projects um, to determine visibility and representation of women and diverse voices in the genre and across the marketplace. Nice. So that, yeah. That's I'm really, really awesome. And started by someone here. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah, nice. and and she's just a, she's a really cool person. So I'm glad they've made it 30 years. Yeah, or or are we sad that we I know still that need it's them still. Yeah, later? that's true. It's I don't double edged, right? I mean, I think writers will always benefit from getting a hand, and I think you know diversity is always important to highlight. I'm sad that there still needs to be work to get oh, parity so and pay and things like yeah. that. Yeah. But um, but in a th- I mean in the '80s then when this started that's a I mean that's gonna be mind blowing mm-hmm. then to start this yeah because they're probably like what are you what are you ladies <laughs> no what? that's what this is my <laughs> little that's ladies, my man voice right and some <laughs> mysteries I know that's cute I, exactly yeah. yeah so well good for them that's awesome yeah and hopefully we don't need them forever but I'm glad they're here yep well. Actually, that's a little bit of a segue into two book minimum. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it is for me. <laughs> okay, good. Do you want to go into your two? Books I don't then? know about you. <laughs> I know. I like, um, not for me, but for me, because I was just thinking as I said that. Um, so one of the book I've I've read one of the books, and I am about to read one of the books that I have for two book minimum. So um, cool. again, uh, the the book I read 
Um, actually, let's start with the book I didn't read because okay. that's the, the segue. So it's uh, Shirley Jackson, A Rather Haunted Life by mm-hmm. Ruth Franklin, which came out in 2016. And it's um, uh, a memoir, which also sort of ends up being a feminist manifesto, hmm. uh, which is good. It was recommended to me by Stephanie Anderson, who's a librarian in, um, in New York and a sometimes listener. Hey, mm-hmm. Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Um, so I, and when she was um, selling it to me, I was really sad. I just I didn't have access to it on my Kindle right then and that I, you know, had other things to do than sit down and read. Um so she, you know, she was writing, I think she went to college in the 30s. She was, you know, writing then and into the 40s. Um, she uh, married a, another writer and a professor and tried to settle into um, the life that you have mm-hmm. in the 50s, the life that you had in the 50s. And they lived in uh, North Bennington in Vermont. I think he taught at Bennington. And um, so they tried to have this very normal suburban life, but she had such drive. Um, she was amazing and really brilliant. And uh, she would get up early in the morning, write mm-hmm. before then getting the kids up and doing all of the, the things that you do when you have four kids. Mm. And then, um, you know, uh, it, it sort of, you know, she was turning out some, some really great stuff. And even though her husband um, was kind of a lout. He cheated on her and he, mm-hmm. he could be kind of controlling. He also sort of thought of her as like the most brilliant find, you know, he found her. Um, and I think he was jealous because she got more uh-huh. um, writing notoriety than than he did. Um, and she, like so many women in the 50s, mm-hmm. ended up, um, she was taking um, amphetamines to lose weight and to yeah. sort of cope and then having to take tranquilizers mm. to sleep. Um, so that is, I have not gotten through everything, but so I'm very interested. And I know she kept incredible, um, very detailed journals. Um, she had her parents sent her back all of the letters they mm. ever wrote. Wow. And um, so she there was a lot of rich material for uh, Ruth Franklin to work with. So I'm fascinated to read this. That sounds really great. And then the other book I read, um, one of the other books I read was Dirty Dancing at Devil's Leap by mm-hmm. Julianne Long. And she's one of my favorite uh, romance writers. She writes uh, historical and contemporary. And I used to just mainly read historical. Um, mm-hmm. So What I Did for a Duke was one of my favorite ones. But she's she's got a ton of them. But um, her heroines are always really smart and really sharp. And um, they, they rarely shoot themselves in the foot like there's you know in some romances uh, somebody will just do something really stupid yeah, yeah. Her, so you frustrating. Know, her characters don't really they sort of act like you or I would act uh-huh. in a situation never stupid um, no <laughs> never I've never <laughs> done anything stupid I know you're genius <laughs> so <clears throat> I actually really um, sometimes I say I laughed I cried but I actually really did and it's, it's pretty rare for me to actually cry right. reading a romance like right. I'll laugh but um she just you know she's a really smart writer um so the premise of the story is that uh Mac is a billionaire son Avalon's a local girl he comes in summers there in this gorgeous Victorian house and ever since they were kids they sort of had this really close bond mm-hmm. which grew into um you know making out when mm-hmm. they were teenagers and uh when they were 17 
Ava overhears something that she wasn't meant to overhear, um, and she just, you know, sort of leaves yeah. and never comes back. And that, that was about the age they were going away to college, and they just, um, yeah, she never tells them why they left. She just left, and mm. so she goes away, um, creates this app, and you know, be, makes cool. a lot of money, cool. and. Um, she and sort of ends up going this direction that she didn't necessarily mean to go, but um, but it's made her successful. She lives in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and uh, ca- she catches her boyfriend doing something he's not supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. and flees the scene. Does another does another runaway, um, and makes an impetuous decision to buy this house that mm. she's always loved that um, that Mac used to summer in and um, Mac's fortunes have fallen his dad mm. uh, went to jail for fraud he's no longer living the billionaire lifestyle uh, and when she he also is trying to buy this house back to, and he's trying to make his way back to some solid footing and she outbids him, yeah. and uh, he finds out it's her. And when she gets out there to the house to look at it, she finds out that he is has been living as the caretaker. So there's oh. a cottage attached, <laughs> and he's been living there. So um, it's just really the chemistry was really great. the The dirty tricks that they play on each other, like um, you know, hauling in a giant thing of manure, you know, <laughs> first thing in the morning or, you know, having nudists come over uh-huh. to use the the lake behind the house. Um, that, those things were really fun. And they just had, they had good chemistry. Um, you know, of course, it's a romance. Mm-hmm. There's going to always have to be a happily ever after. But this is one where I like was actually like, yeah, oh, this good. was great. Yeah. And um and this is part of a series. This is third in a series. Uh, and this is, I think, the best one of the series. So, Is it a series like in the same town? Or it's, yes, Hellcat it just... Canyon uh-huh. in, in Northern California. Okay. Um, so all the other two are actually good too, but this one was, I think, the best and the, the best writing. And mm-hmm. it's like she kind of hit her stride yeah. with this one. Cool. So nice. um, give it a try. Sounds nice. Yeah. That's really fun. And then I heard uh, you were reading something scandalous. <laughs> Make me talk about the podcast. So another thing that Stephanie Anderson recommended to me was Tessa Bailey, who writes uh, she writes contemporary. And I had I think I've start I've started another one of hers. But what I read on the plane was it was like a little it was a novella. Her and um, Sophie Jordan wrote mm-hmm. one together, and. It was, I had to... What was it called? Oh, what was it even called? I can't even remember what it was called. (laughs) Show notes. notes. (laughs) I can't even remember what it was called. But the premise was um, he was a, he's a coming back from the war and he served six years Mm -hmm. and uh, he was, you know... The woman in this story was um, sent to pick him up, and uh, she's also the daughter of, like, the the big general. Mm-hmm. So none of the guys ever look at her right. because, you know. Yeah. And this guy doesn't know 
that she's the daughter. He picks her up. And um, because it's a novella, you mm-hmm. have to get right to the exciting bits and right to the, like, really draw the characters really quickly. And she did a great job, and the exciting bits were really exciting. Maybe I should, I should write, read those novellas. I don't want the plot. <laughs> no. It was it was very, it was very good. We'll I mean, find out what that you know, called. And then... If you like spicy romance, right. you still want it to be well-written. Yeah, yeah. Or and else it you was... just... It was well written. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I had to. I had to keep turning my Kindle away from the the nice lady sitting in the center seat on the way on the on plane because I just thought maybe she was like, "Ooh, what is that? I want to read it." Maybe she yeah. might have. I, know, I could have done. You some, just kind of want to read things in private. <laughs> <laughs> could have done some reader's advisory. <laughs> like, but, yeah. I was like, "That this Kindle's gonna melt." <laughs> like, it was. It's exciting. Oh, that's awesome. So I'll put that in the show notes. That yeah. was on Hoopla. So oh, cool. Everyone listening can read all it at all the at same the same time. time. All <laughs> on the same plane. Everything. <laughs> cool. Um, well, I've got a couple. Um, one of them was also a recommendation uh, to me. It's And I'm in the middle of reading it. And I, I don't know why. I keep like reading other things while I'm reading this. But uh, it's The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers from 2016. And um, it is the first in – so far there's a sequel, but there might be a um, – it might be a trilogy coming up. Uh, it's really funny sci-fi that Kimberly on our team recommended. And we were having this talk about a different book, and she was like, okay. So she recommended this one and said that there was some really – interesting interstellar interstellar interspecies sex and and for some reason that was like like a, <laughs> a that was a selling point to me and i was like yeah i'll try that i don't know why <laughs> i could probably trace back my book thoughts on that but uh, but yeah it was it's uh it's set in space and uh there's a kind of a ragtag bunch of um beings cuz i think only like two or human, maybe three. Mm. Uh, it's a bunch of interspecies. It's an interspecies um, ship, and they're trying to do some sort of science fictiony time travel-y thing that I don't really completely understand. Um, but it's <laughs> shouldn't you, I don't know if I should. Shouldn't un- you be able to get that? From yeah, the book? but it's also like I mean, it's so far out there, literally, that it's like I I trust that they know what they're doing within the realm uh-huh. of the world that they live in, and I kind of just space out at the at some of the parts. But anyway. <laughs> Us. No pun intended. <laughs> Man, I am a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sort of reminds me of Douglas Adams, um, who I really loved in high school. And like the title itself is seems to me a very Douglas Adams mm-hmm. sort of title. Uh, but there's great descriptions and really witty ba- banter. Um, but one thing I really like is that she does a really good job with kind of gender and race commentary. Um, she's coming up with all these different species. And so um, – there's like these these I don't want to say people. Okay, these beings are trying very hard not to be specious to the people to the oh. to the other beings that they meet. And so specious. yeah, like right, like speciesist or whatever, yeah. right? You know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so the author has come up with like these gender neutral, species neutral pronouns that you would use when you meet someone. And you didn't know. And you didn't know. And so it's just – it's really neat. Like it's its in their just mindset to be really respectful. Cool. and Yeah, and value differences and learn about differences. And and so it's – you can very clearly apply it to like our society. But it's just a really neat way to look at it. Um, yeah, and, and it's 
you have to, to read it because there's a lot of stuff that, like, I don't even know if I could pronounce the pronoun that, that she comes up with. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's I wonder it if it would be really, a good listen then. Ooh, I wonder. We do have the audiobook. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, so that one was, was, has been really good oh, so that far. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and I've heard that I should not look at the description for the second one because it'll reveal an enormous spoiler from the first one. Oh. So Kimberly has said just like, don't, don't look at anything until you're done. Good so, information. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Uh, second one is, um, an older book. It's from 93. It's, uh, Like Waterford Chocolate by Laura Esquivel. Um, I had not ever, have you seen the movie? I've seen the movie. Okay. I had not never, read the book. Right. So. And I had never... Seen the movie, which I heard is extremely charming, which is not surprising. Um, The book is really charming. It's narrated uh, in the current day by telling – it's a woman telling the story of her, like, great aunt, I think, who – her love for – her passion for cooking was passed on to this narrator. But everything sort of takes place um, in the great aunt's time. Um, The aunt – she has this, like, sort of magical power where whatever – Emotions she's feeling while she's cooking kind of gets imbued into the food. <laughs> um, so there's just a lot of magical realism. There was one scene where um, the aunt is like, she's crying over a lost love and just feeling super melancholy and feeling a lot of regret. And like a few of her tears get into the icing on this wedding cake that she's making. And apparently everybody at the wedding, like when they take a bite, they just start, they just become overcome with like this feeling of sadness. And then everybody's crying and they don't know why. And everybody's reflecting on their lost loves. And, And what I really like about this author is that she just goes for it completely. Like there's no doubt at all that that is exactly what happened, that, like, the cake <laughs> that she cried into made them cry. So, um, I, like I yeah, it was really, really neat. Um, I also uh, saw that there's an audiobook for that one, and I bet that would be fun to listen to also. I like that. That's, yeah. So that was two book minimum. We got Dirty Dancing at Devil's Leap, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Shirley Jackson, Rather Haunted, um, Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, and Like Water for Chocolate. Well, it's time for the she said, she said, that might be the first one that we really disagree. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are we reading? Or so what did we read? We're reading All the Light We Cannot See uh, by Anthony Doerr. And I read this when it first came out mm-hmm. and I loved, loved it. it. Uh-huh. And I have been trying to get you to read I it. I know. And everybody else. And so now we are. Um, I'm but sorry. And <laughs> now things are going to happen. So, um, so the novel is um, set during um, during World War II. A lot of that, the primary action takes place sort of in the final days, final months, I guess, um, of, of World War II. But so um, Marie Lore. Mm-hmm. Lore mm-hmm. is um, a French girl. Um, she's living in Paris. Um, she's blind, lives with her father. Um, there's no mother. And um, and then the second protagonist is Werner. He's a German boy um, who he and his sister Jutta live in mm-hmm. an orphanage together. Um, and he has um, – anyway, so – yeah. He, he, that's the setup. And then you kind of go, you start at the present day. Um, 
Well, actually, do you? You start when they're evacuating Paris. Yeah. So Marie Laure and her father are evacuating. Um, no, it's it's Saint Malo. Um, she's leaving. She's leaving. Um, uh, the bombs are dropping. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. then you go back, and you go back to learn about um, how Marie Laure lives with her father, and they live near the Museum of Natural History. Uh, her father's a, a lock maker, mm-hmm. and um, has been entrusted to make um, special lock for this very special diamond, sea of flames. the Sea of Flames. Um, and and then um, Werner, at the same time, is growing up. Um, he's near a coal mining town. His dad died in the mines, and um, he his dream is to get out. And you know, he finds out that he has some special talent in. Um, creating or fixing radios, mm-hmm. um, and and there's the special draw of the radio. He and Yuta like listen to this um, uh, broadcast for a really long time until it becomes illegal to listen to broadcast. French, yeah, it's French, and it's a uh, um, a man reading science um, or talking about science, mm-hmm. and you know which really sort of ignites his imagination. So. That's the setup, and you just go back and forth in time from, um, you know, as as both characters are growing up, um, where they are at different points in time, you know, coming to where they are right now, where, like, um, San Malo is being bombed. Um, and so, you know, you know that they're sort of inexorably mm-hmm. being drawn together at – they will – come together at some point, those characters. You just don't really know how or why. Yeah. Right. Um, so. Well, um, it's, I mean, it's been widely loved. It was, um, is that 118 weeks on New York Times bestseller list for hardcover fiction? That's a it lot. Took, uh, yeah. It that's took, a- I think that's, I'm guessing that's why it took so long for the paperback to come out. Because the paperback came out just over two years after the, the book came out, which is like... Did it also win the Pulitzer? Mm, show notes. List here, but um, <laughs> it was... <laughs> we will check that. And it was shortlisted for the National Book Award. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was amazing because like, so my book club has been waiting. We've been waiting to buy it for in a bag because the hardcover, we didn't, you know, it's too expensive to buy that many. And also they wouldn't all fit in the bag because it's right. large. Um, and so it's been over two years Took forever. since, yeah. And it's like, okay, finally we can read this one now. But, um, okay. But yeah. Uh, what does it say on your book there? So it just says the same 10 best books, oh, New York Times okay. Review, okay. 10 best books of the year, book. and whatever. But I, for some reason, I thought he won the Pulitzer. You know what? He might have. So, uh, Anywho's. Uh-oh. Well, one non-controversial, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, critique maybe that I heard from from my book club is uh, that some people really just – and this has been a repetitive theme in the book club – is that some people just really do not like the jumping back and forth. Mm. And uh, and they really – in this case, which I thought was really smart, they they one person suggested – that she wishes they would have had like a table of contents so that you can at least see um, if you wanted to follow the strings kind of like chronologically, oh. you could mm-hmm. kind of flip back and make sure you didn't miss anything. Oh. Um, and and I it's interesting because when the when like a jumping back and forth narrative is pointed out um, 
and it's often critiqued, it's not a thing that I really notice because I think that it's been such a theme in literature uh-huh. in, I don't know how long, but... yeah. Um, and I, I actually really enjoy that because it causes like suspense. It ca- and, yes, mm-hmm. it like it, it adds. Yeah, it does it add mm-hmm. suspense? It add, it makes me keep turning the pages, right. um, On a story which otherwise might not. That's yeah. You know, the story might be. Um, you, the plot isn't like turning, 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 turning. Uh-huh. Perhaps in this one, there's you know stuff is turning and stuff is going, but um, but the going back and forth mm-hmm. keeps you sort of keeps it more animated for you and. And I, I like it. I, I mean, I just, I guess I, my brain works in a way where I don't have trouble following it. Right. So, but um, I like, and I and can I think see how it would be difficult if you're, yeah. if you liked another type of story. There was a guy. There's a guy in my book club who was like, "Is this just a way to make stories more interesting?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean." Because, mm-hmm. yeah, he just said that he was like, at a certain point, it just seems like that's a trope everyone uses is going back and forth and it doesn't it doesn't bother me um but it's it is it's interesting because that is that's a critique and i did have one book club member who she decided to write down the page numbers um where each thing was happening like each year Uh or whatever and like and she flipped back and forth and read it chronologically Uh so it was kind of like a a scavenger hunt of finding, you know, like she would flip back and forth to make sure it all went in order, which is really right. also really. And she said it was great that way too. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. It's interesting, mm-hmm. and I liked like I was noticing when I was reading it this time, um, something I liked about it, which was uh, like where it's like at the exact same time this thing is happening, this I thing do is like happening, this thing is happening. Mm-hmm. Which I I love the movie Amelie. Yes, and I feel like it had it captured yeah. that sort mm-hmm. of feel too, where it's like this feeling of interconnectedness, mm-hmm. and and you know he's purposely Doris purposely going for interconnectedness because their lives will intersect mm-hmm. or whatever. But there's feeling of interconnectedness that all of these things are happening at different times in different places, and you know um, the language is incredibly beautiful. He has a good sense of rhythm where he you know it's either very short, mm-hmm. direct sentences leading into, you know, long, beautiful sentences. So um, I think that's not in dispute. I think most people would say that, you know, that it's a language yeah. sort of book. Um, yeah. It's, uh, I think, so to get into my own personal feelings about yes. it, which are, let's, let's yes. get personal. Okay, then. well, and one thing I do want to say is that, we have one beloved coworker who I love, but I recommended a book to her. It's called Shmorio by Shman Schmoss. And uh, <laughs> this coworker, Shmeredith, hated it <laughs> and just like started, started just very, being very, sharing her very honest opinion, which some people appreciate oh, honesty and I book. don't appreciate honesty when it comes to my favorite things. She so, hated that book like poison. I know. And so, and, and I just know, like, that book to me was just like that book like lives in my in my heart. And so hearing her say that was just like stab, stab. And so I don't I don't wanna do that. You don't want to stab here. me in the heart. I don't want to stab you in the heart. So or I will any just, listeners who might also No, exactly. Yeah, okay. because obviously it's extremely well loved. Um Well I let's I, get to it. I think that I maybe am growing out of language being my first and foremost doorway. I think that like mm. That, it's a thing that I've kind of been thinking about that 
uh, or maybe flowery language or kind of like longer sentences or in a lot of descriptions and adjectives. I think that used to be my number one jam. And I'm just finding now that I don't have as much patience for it. And maybe mm. my concentration level is not as good anymore. But so I – there were times in this book where I just kind of flipped ahead because I was just like oh. – and and I know that I was missing a lot of really beautiful language. And so you were. I was. I know. <laughs> but I was having trouble mustering up a care in that okay. moment. That's and so and that's why I would miss that's mm-hmm. why the book didn't hit me probably as as much. Yeah, because I I recall when I read it the first time, I would read passages and be like, oh, I want to text that to somebody because it was just so it was mm-hmm. beautiful, you know. And I and I think that, you know, that is what I what I appreciated about it as a World War II book, mm-hmm. you know, as a war book, is that it was not really about the fighting at all. It was about the personal experience of living in an occupied city. Right. It was about the personal experience of being prepared to go to war, mm-hmm. like Werner was being prepared. Yeah, just the everyday. Um, and the brutalities of... Of having to lose who you are, lose yourself, um, not not even not being able to know yourself or express yourself because you're in an occupied place. Mm-hmm. So um, that I mean that is that was fascinating and important to me, mm-hmm. and I love the way that he expressed it or talked about it. And I know that not everybody felt that way. Well, and but, you really love the everyday. Like we've talked about this before. Like you really love the the everyday lived experience right inside of a larger mm -hmm. big experience yeah Yeah. when we talked about this before like that if i was reading a historical person historical fiction to me Mm -hmm. is more compelling when it's the everyday lived experience but it but it really shines through like how that is weird like when you go outside and you smell Mm -hmm. corpses Mm -hmm. you know what i mean on your daily walk because people are starving to death and laying there so um that's the kind of. I mean, I don't like corpses, but, <laughs> but I love a good corpse. I'm just saying, love um, the smell of corpses. So in the morning. okay, but yeah. so the so the real issue. Let's get to sort of the real issue. Well, so well, one of the main issues. A, yeah. Um, another thing that just this is not Doris Fall. He was born this way, but a book by a white man is going to be a really hard sell for me. Mm, yes, he was born this way. Yes. He can't help it. He can't. I help know. It. I know. Um, but that's also like I know that I'm coming at it with all these different things where it's like yeah, okay, white dude, I'm You've just gonna prejudge. I've are yeah, I prejudge everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's my, I'm working I mean, on it. Humans, that's, yeah, we, we do that. Yeah, but we can rise above and uh-huh. and look at it critically, right? Sure. Okay. So yeah. that's what we're doing. Yes. All right. Um, I will say <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so there's there's an issue. Um. And actually, you were the one who brought it to my uh-huh. attention after because you had read it. Because this is going to be the Stephanie oh, Anderson. She's the one. Who, she's the one who mentioned podcast. to me. Yeah. Um, and when she said, "Okay, well, we'll say it." So yeah, exactly. there's been a critique <laughs> uh-huh. of how uh, Marie Lure is portrayed as a blind person. Uh-huh. And and when Stephanie told me she didn't like the book and she that critique was important to her. I had a moment of feeling like so terrible because uh-huh. I did not, I didn't 
I didn't notice that. It wasn't something that stuck out to me. And I think of myself as a person who reads carefully for those critically things. Critically. And critically. And I didn't notice it. And so... Well, and, and you yeah. and I talked about this. And so I'll set up maybe the critique mm-hmm. because it really comes down to kind of the portrayal of blindness first and, and also the portrayal of parenthood. Um, in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I and, think... And or, or I mean, like how how the same exact thing can be read in two yes. different ways. So um, the critique, and this is from the Toast, um, Sherry Wells Jensen. Is the is this is an article that I found? I don't know what Stephanie. Maybe she had just from people she'd talked to. I yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, but Sherry Wells Jensen is blind, and she talks about how um, Marie Laura is, is. She says other utterly without agency as a character. Um, she's led through life by the hand and accepts everything that happens to her with dystopian magnanimity. Um, she is, uh, she, she said, she's, it's just that she spends the majority of, her, of the novel in apparently cr- the courageous and all-involving activity of simply staying alive while blind. Um, her father um, has built this which really I wish that I could see this in person because I'm sure it would be really beautiful, um, has built this uh, like scale model of the entire town. He does it twice in the towns that they're living in. And um, he teaches her kind of exactly where all of like the potholes are and all of the um, – or, or, you know, the – Buildings and like yeah, how and many the, steps to each building. And yeah, the, and, you know, and, so and how many trees. And how, yeah, and, um, and the critique is that I think the author is saying like n- not – any blind people I know need to have a full-scale model of a town to go outside. That, that that wouldn't be helpful. Yeah. And also, like, it's just, it's not necessary. Um, and so they, she read this as the dad is controlling her experience because she's blind. And therefore, he feels like he needs to mon- like mm-hmm. monitor or control right. her her living in the town. But the way you had said it, which is interesting, and as not a parent, not a parent, mm-hmm. um, I hadn't really thought about it. But you were saying that. Yeah. So I I read it differently. Um, I mean, I, I did read that she uh, was not, you know, she was very contained in her own world is the way that I read that. Mm-hmm. And I read it for that that was the case for a couple of reasons because because her dad had lost the the mother, you know, mm-hmm. um, and Marie Laura was all he had left in the world. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you should, <clears throat> you know, stifle your child, but that's just an impulse. That is yeah. just what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, the um she is blind mm-hmm. and and so the resources for dealing with that or knowing how to deal with that mm-hmm. in, you know, 1940 or whatever, um, 1930s, mm-hmm. probably not as good as they are today. Right. And so um, I, you know, I didn't have a problem. I don't think you would do that now, but I didn't have a problem with the idea of him building a model because of the way his mind works. Yeah. You know, as a puzzle solver, he, you know, as a builder and like he, right. And he... Um, I would, I mean, I felt like it was a genuine response to feeling helpless that this is something he could do to feel helpful. Not that she needed it. Not, not that, that she it was, was helpless. It's more that he feels helpless. Yes, yeah. Which is the way I read it as a parent. Mm-hmm. And then add to all that, that you are in a city under occupation, mm-hmm. which she doesn't really mention at all in this article. Mm-hmm. That, um, to me, that's a, I mean, that's a crucial 
component of this entire book is that you're a city under occupation and that you could be you could die at any time right and so you know his response to that as a parent is to overprotect overparent uh-huh. and she has to you know she has to learn how to come out of her shell which mm-hmm. i think is very interesting because she's she calls herself the whelk mm-hmm. she's very interested yeah, she in really shells yeah uh-huh. um like she's very interested in sea life and i i would disagree like i mean i feel like the a big part of the story is her growth like how she becomes you know she she becomes a researcher and a professor and and a writer mm-hmm. and she um I guess maybe I'm – spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, but she she does grow in the story when she is allowed to do right. so. Mm-hmm. And so I don't – I guess I don't have a problem with that – her father putting her in that position because it's, it's wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's not like the book is saying this is the right way to do it. The book is saying – this is what happened to this person, yeah. and then they learned how to find their own agency and become the person that they want to be. I and, have, yeah. yeah. And I have – there's a couple of points. Um, I think the way I would frame it – and and she she does say that um, Dora had done, done research um, and, and interviews and things like that, and he, um, he had read about – Jacques Le Surion, who is <laughs> French, uh, a blind man who took part in the French resistance in World War II, um, and then a uh, current-day blind evolutionary biologist now at UC Davis. Um, and I think that the fact that there was a blind man who took pl- place in the French Revolution in World War II means that perhaps that there were other blind people there that were not being led around by a, a model. But it was also right. that was a that was a man. So it's also right. it's also well, a commentary I mean, on yeah. on femininity in in that time period or you know girlhood in that time period yeah but like she's like the story i mean she's six when the story Mm -hmm. starts like i wouldn't let my six-year-old no and i think it's more like the fact that she has to have her coat button for her you know Mm -hmm. it's i i i guess the way i would frame it is that for a long time the only portrayals of like of women were in a cert were a certain mm-hmm. thing like they were all way too emotional or naggy or whatever you know like if if that's all the portrayals of the identity that you identify with right it, it's so frustrating every time a new one of those comes out and so if we were living in a place where there were tons and tons of blind experiences being taught about t- talked about in books then this particular one may not have been as annoying you know I, yes no and i uh so really, it's just a critique of the publishing yeah, industry. I think that – well, and I definitely – I mean, I have no I, – I just have no response to, to you know, that what's her – I'm sorry. I didn't get oh, um, Sherry yeah. Wells-Jensen. Sherry yeah. Wells-Jensen. And she's, you know, she's a professor. She's a um, – I think she was a professor of writing or something, mm-hmm. maybe English yeah. or something. Like, you and know. I think she went to the same school yes, as Dora, she did. which is interesting. So I uh, – I will not argue with her. I mean, I w- I can't argue with right. the way she perceives the story to be told. Although she does have the ages wrong in her article, That's which true. makes a difference. That's true. On the level of parenting you might give a child mm-hmm. and the appropriateness of the of what's happening. But I also, you know, the thing that I said to you was, you know, when you're as a parent and your child is growing up, like you go from. 
being able to constantly touch the child, to mm-hmm. have physical contact with them, to hold them, to be close to them. Um, and then you gradually move away from that and you gradually have to get away from that. And, you know, I think a lot of parents would say if if it was socially acceptable, I would still button my yeah. kids' coat. Right. You know right. what I mean? Or I would still – I would do little things to be able to Just have because they're your that child, physical because, contact with right. them because I love them and I want to be close to them. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was socially acceptable to, to be that level of caring – for that person and to know that you weren't stunting them yeah. later right. to take care of themselves, I would do it, you know? And I think this dad doesn't, he doesn't know that. Well, yeah, and he's know? terrified. Yeah, yeah he's exactly. terrified. Yeah. So I, so I, I mean, I guess I sort of felt like if, if Marie Lore wasn't blind, mm-hmm. I think the story would still work fine. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Well, right. And maybe that's also, because she talks about how blindness is sort of a metaphor for is it empirical the word innate mm-hmm. goodness, I guess. Oh yeah. Because the only other, the, like the the only redeeming character in the in the Werner side of the story is Frederick, and he is he's visually impaired also, and so it's like there are these like there's this connection between sort of like a the like a mythical goodness in these blind people. And she also points out, because I didn't read The Shell Collector, another door novel, but um, it says, Dorr first achieved notoriety with his portrayal of a mythical blind character in The Shell Collector. So it's it's mm. interesting. It's like it's it's like it's like um, sightedness as a metaphor, which is, I don't know, maybe annoying right. for people who are blind. I have no idea. Yeah. Remember. Well, I mean, I definitely like I'm I can't. I can't speak. That's what I'm yeah, saying. I, know, like, right. I can't speak to that, and yeah. I really, I really want to be able to um, be a, a critical thinker and right. a critical reader and see those things in the material when I read them. Well, and, you just and, mean I, that. and that's yeah. why I and mean so that's why I, we read right. And I reread it. Yeah, and I, we were talking about this. I yeah. kept, I was rereading it, and I knew that that was a critique. And I kept looking for it, and I still could not see it that way. Like right. I still could not interpret it yeah, exactly. that way. Like I could. I was, you know, my interpretation of it still remained that. Um, and I that wonder it, that, it, that the blindness was not the issue it, and I, necessarily, yeah. and that her portrayal wasn't meant to say something about blindness. Her portrayal was meant to say something about the relationship between this this dad and this child, mm-hmm. and and then what she later has to figure out how to to have agency to be mm-hmm. you know to become herself and and you know so I. I know, and I also, I mean, it's impossible for you to read this as not a parent, you know, just like it's impossible yeah. for me to read this as a parent, right. you know, and so that's, yeah, it's interesting. Well, that's why it's, it's you know, it's a rich tapestry. It's a rich tapestry. Uh, one thing that I would say about the Werner side of the story is just how sad I it was to just, to watch these young boys get sucked into you know, Hitler Youth and sucked into all these, um, like, feelings of belonging. Like, the only feeling of belonging they have is with these horrendous people, you Mm -hmm. know, because they're seen as, you know, 
that's their family now. And it just, I don't, I'm not explaining this well, but no, just I know. The, I know. the ease with which you can take a vulnerable person and who's like disenfranchised and who has no, you know, family or no experience with love and acceptance and then just kind of like to take advantage of that yeah. and turn them into tiny monsters. Yeah. You know, it's just killing machines. Yeah. Killing machines. And I mean that's what happens. It happens here, it happens right. everywhere. Right. It still happens. Yeah. It was uh yeah, and I thought that was I mean to me the thing I liked about that was like that the immediacy of the violence and the immediacy of, you know, that sort of, you know, instilling hate in people and, you know, the ability to still see beautiful things, you know, portrayed mm-hmm. in in the book. It, you know, I don't know. It was – and I – I like a war book. So right, and I do also, not see, at all. So yeah, I, I know. It's I just, like it's a, a war weird, book. I like. Yeah. I like that. This you know, meant all of your plumbing the depths mm-hmm. of like where we can be as humans and sort of seeing yeah. the heights of like where we can yeah. go as humans. So I, um, so I will. I mean, I will just say that I still like the book. Yeah. I I still I still wish that. Well, maybe I don't. I mean. I will. Oh, I definitely think I can understand why there is this critique, and I—that's mm-hmm. the only critique I saw. I—I I did not that find any other. I yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't maybe. find any other critiques uh-huh. from any other blind people who mm-hmm. said yes. I also had the same mm-hmm. experience with this book, um, but that doesn't mean that anything other than I just saw the one. Mm-hmm. So um, I. I still want to like this book. I would still recommend this book yeah. to people. I might say, you know, there's been some critique of of how the way blindness is portrayed. So just be, you know, be aware yeah. of that. Um, no, but, I mean, well, and that's another reason why, like, bringing some critiques to this book feels sort of fair because it's not going to take away from the success that the book has already had. You know, it's like, and right. it's like, it's just kind of adding you know another perspective i guess mm-hmm. um but i would be interested if anybody who's listening has read it and has thoughts yeah you should let us know i would be too i mean not everybody's going to love this book and they might just not well, love it for any book yeah. any particular reason right. other than that particular critique but mm-hmm. that'd be good to know yeah because right? i just really i just really had a reading experience yeah i know with which this is great book. like yeah i, I had and it's hard when feeling. someone doesn't like yeah, I, I had that feeling of just falling into it and having this incredible reading experience. Mm-hmm. So, um, and maybe that's maybe that's okay too. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, no, I, it's nice. Reading yeah. is a very personal thing. Mm-hmm. So I I think that you know I know you didn't also hate it, right? So like I we aren't throwing microphones around no, in here. Like that's gosh. not going to happen. We might get to a book like that someday. I wonder. I won't finish we... a book. <laughs> See, that is, I know. I'm I know. a quitter. I'm a quitter. That could be. We hated. We hated the, the thought of 1984, and so we just didn't read. And it. We just so. didn't read it. Yeah. <laughs> Life is too short to read books that you Avoid don't like. Things that don't mm-hmm. speak to your. So, um, but I yeah, I'm glad that we. I'm glad that you did read it. I'm glad yeah. we had this talk. Yeah, for because sure. Because now you, well, maybe you still don't know why I love it. So no, much, I do. Like, I do. Yeah. No, and that's the nice thing. I mean, I, you know. 
some things just aren't my thing. But when you can recognize why something is someone else's thing, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's and what that Reader's Advisory you, is all about. Right, yeah. That helps you suggest books to people. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Well, so that's that. That's that. Should but we next up? <laughs> should we get to We Can't Always Be Reading? Yeah, because I actually have things this time. Oh, all right. Well, um, do you want to go first this time? Oh, sure. I'll go first. Okay. So, uh, first of all, Tonight, um, I'm excited because I'm going – I was invited by my dear friend Ruby um, to a fundraiser for Habitat for Humanity's Women's Build. Oh. Yeah. And and, uh, I went last year with her, and it's like a silent auction, and there's – Free food and drink, which is nice. Uh, (laughs) But you get to walk around and bid on um, mostly like – there's baskets and things, you know, like different services and different um, items. And then, like, last year one of my favorite things was uh, someone made this little free library um, house, you know, that you'd put in your uh-huh. yard. And it was just freaking adorable. It was, like, this precious little cottage that someone oh. made, and it was so beautiful. That and, was nice. Yeah. And so that got bid on, and I think, and I think people um, – Really do uh, like save up to bid. Is this their big fundraiser for the year then? For the women's, yeah, and the women's women's build, build, yeah, is uh, and um, they always do a or the last few years they've done a calendar where it's women in the community dressing up um, retroly and uh, so I think yeah Leslie Soden is in it Um, and so uh, and a bunch of other people who do awesome stuff in town Um, and so that's another thing is that you get to see pictures of of women you may know dressed up in from around town yeah yeah okay Uh, so that'll be tonight Um, I'll let you know later how that goes yeah Uh, be high for me I will okay Another thing I did recently was foster some kittens from the shelter. And uh, <laughs> I'm glad I only had two, bless their hearts. But those well, are pooping machines. Oh, I yeah. had to bleach everything afterwards. Well, yeah. Bless their little sweethearts. I mean, they're very sweet, so very sweet and very cuddly. And, and I do miss their little faces, but I don't miss their butts at all. <laughs> so it's it was really this nice. This is actually something that parents say when they launch their children into the world. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I miss their little see faces. Ya. <laughs> um, no, it felt a lot like babysitting where I got my, like, kitten fever fix totally out of the way. And now I'm like, <laughs> heck no. I'm okay with my life as it is. <laughs> That's nice because I think, you know, I've said I don't think I could foster because I don't. You just want I to get keep attached, them. Oh. no matter how annoying they are. Well, I will I, keep them, and I will suffer. Yeah, and it depends on the size of the place you're in. I mean, like in a in like a two bedroom apartment with just me, I think it's a two giant cat household. I think that that is my max for that particular. You know, if I had like um, an upstairs and a downstairs, maybe it'd be totally different. Yeah, but, but I, I can't shut my cats. But I can't. Uh, like there's no room that shuts off in my apartment because of right. the way it's laid out. And so it's not like I could just keep the cats like quartered in one area for right. a little while or anything or like at night. And so well, I would, you wouldn't want to. I mean, just be one giant stink hole in there. God, I know. I know. In, so in my opinion. Anyway, bless their hearts. But fostering is a lot of fun. And if you do it from the um, Humane Society, they're very appreciative and they give you litter and food and the whole it setup. It is and stuff. really nice. And I um, I don't need. know if I can foster, but I do I do adopt. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, you my, do. Yeah, uh, every animal I've adopted has been Yeah, they're, they're awesome. Um, and then the last thing 
another thing I've been nurturing, uh, which is more my speed, I think, is plants. Um, and I've become a little bit obsessed with, I've been like making hanging plant holders because of said cats and because I can't have anything sitting on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like painting the pots and then divvying up the little plants that I have and making cuttings and replanting and blah, blah, blah. And I think that I have, I think that I have 26 potted things and some of them have multiple plants actually in them, which is, you know, and I think that the, I've like tripled in the last four months. It's been, so I don't know what's going to happen you by the might, year's end. We might have, do we have to have an intervention? Maybe. A, a, plant, a plant intervention. intervention. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I uh, like how our brains think uh, of the same made up word at the same time. I know. It's one well, that makes sense. Yeah. So, uh. If you have any cuttings, send them my way. I know. I'll well, you know what? Remember you helped me? Oh, yeah, so I planted uh, a bunch of plants because I never had plants. And I was like, well, I've kept children, you know, alive. and it's a totally different thing, though. Got them, you know, even some oh, of yeah, them to college. Great, yeah, you got great ones. Like, uh-huh. maybe I could have plants now. <laughs> I think yeah. I could do it. <laughs> I killed the succulents. I killed succulents. Oh, succulents did you? Do not, yeah. Succulents, I don't know what I did They wrong. suck. Okay. Yeah. They're... <laughs> I I overwater or I did, I actually was really cognizant not to overwater, so I think I might. They just needed more sun. Yeah, maybe. that's another thing. I had Kristen gave me this little butt cactus. It was called. It's like a shape, sort of like a butt, oh. and it shriveled. It shriveled into this tiny <laughs> girl. Just, oh that happens. Let me tell yeah. You. No, and then it was just like this tiny little bitty thing. But it was because it didn't have the right amount of sunlight. Yeah. So okay, that I must have. That must have been my it's problem. Not your fault. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. philodendrons or whatever those um, the ones that the I have things yeah. are are so easy. Okay, yeah, because those, those are, are doing fine. Yeah, and then they're starting to droop, and you're like, oh, I don't think I've watered exactly. them for two weeks. They speak you know, to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So okay, well, I'm no, sorry, succulents. I'm yeah, sorry no, I killed you, but not, we're not succulent people. I guess nope. Mm-mm. <laughs> All right, so what have you been uh, up to? Well, I just got back from Oregon. Mm-hmm. I was there for a library reads steering committee, and uh, we stayed on the coast. Cool. It was incredible. I did yoga on the beach, Aww. as you do in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, sure. I guess. Um, wow. I felt very one with myself. Yeah. <laughs> It was incredible. And then we did like a little, uh, we participated in an unconference and then Mm -hmm. I came home and um, I got to see some friends while I was there that I haven't seen in a number of, I saw a friend I haven't seen for 18 years. Um, So that was really lovely. Um, I set up having a workout buddy with another librarian Uh in New York. So, because I lost my workout buddy, but now I've I've got another one. So, since the time difference, she texts, she gets up and goes to the gym, and she texts me on the way home from the gym. And that's so then it. she's accountable to me to go to the gym, Aww. and then I'm accountable to then be like, uh oh, she's done it, I have to do it. So, uh-huh. um, so that's great. And then you know we had a great, great event with George Saunders. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just a just the he's nicest. a gem. He is a gem. He is a really good guy. And now that I've done all of that stuff, I get to spend the weekend cleaning my house, which is actually really exciting good. to me. I know people are like, oh, and I'm like, no. No, it's just like I get to actually. I like to clean. Like that's Are you going to put on some music? I, yes, yeah. I do. When I was a kid, that was like we would put on mm-hmm. classical music and I'd be like, it's cleaning day. Like classical? Like classical music. Really? Mm-hmm. Now, I mean more like 
booty jams or yeah i don't know like classical like music was our thing the eagles or any like, well was a i lot, do was a wide you know what i like now music. is um like 70s mm-hmm. uh 70s hits mm-hmm. like yeah, yeah like, like the hall and oats station oh, heck yeah you know, yacht yeah. jams yes. or whatever yes. i know um, recently i figured out that that's what I, I like that now mm-hmm. to clean yeah. so that's my kids i guess that's their classical music yeah exactly. when they hear it they're they're like oh, oh god it's cleaning day hall and oats is on <laughs> Go grab I'll the get mop. the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> so yep, that's that's what I'm up to. Cool. Um, well, there's some things happening in or around LPL in yeah. town. Um, first of all, I want to say um, shout out and thank you to um, Iris Cliff, who's a uh, local artist. She donated uh, some stickers and some prints for Indigenous Peoples Day this past Monday, and uh, she just she gave them to some places around town that she thought were. Um, kind of inspiring to her or places that she liked to go to. And so, uh, and they're freaking gorgeous. Yeah, they are. So um, check out Iris Cliff. Uh, I think she's on Instagram and um, she is a, a young, talented artist to look look is out for. Cliff, C-L-I-F-F? I believe so. Okay. Mm, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, show notes. Show notes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another thing is that um, on Friday, October 20th at 7 at the Raven Bookstore downtown um, is the second installment of Mike Supremacy, which is a people of color led and centered open mic night that is open to the Lawrence community. And um, it's monthly. Uh, and um, I heard that the last one went super well. And so um, this one will be yeah Friday, the 20th. Um, we'll have to check that out. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. What you got? Uh, let's see. So Sunday, October 29th, mm-hmm. which also happens to be a very important day Someone's birthday. in the history of the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's my birthday. Uh, Pure Imagination, music from the movies will be happening. The Jayhawk Harp Ensemble. I love a harp. You do? I don't even. To clean to or just to I listen just, to? Just to listen to. I didn't, You know how you don't know that you Maybe love some birthday harp? It's birthday harp. Um, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Kevin know that it's time to go. Like He needs to take me out. Yeah. So uh, they're going to play music from beloved movies like Wizard of Oz, Harry Potter, Beauty and the Beast, um, you know, all the all the great movies that you and I'm going to guess that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory will I also would, be yeah, probably. pure imagination. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that is uh, October 29th, my birthday, <laughs> at 2 p.m. in the auditorium. Gifts. Bring gifts to the library, <laughs> Olivia, table outside. <laughs> Just pile them up. Yeah. Uh, and then one thing that's um, I'll just mention quickly, but we'll mention it again next time, is that Election Day is Tuesday, November 7th, which is four days after my birthday. Uh, We're all just going to make everything about us. Uh, I know. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, was a Scorpio sound. Um, <laughs> so you can actually on the Douglas County, uh, DouglasCountyKS.org, you can sign up and give them your cell phone number, and then they text you to remind you to vote, which is very helpful for Dang. people like me, yeah, who don't remember what day anything is. Not that even is right really now. That is really awesome. Day. Yeah, and uh, it's I think just like infrequent reminders, so they're not like flooding your phone or anything. Um, blowing up your phone is that what the kids do? They don't say that. I think that was like I five years ago. I think the kids still say that. Okay, they're you know. I don't know. 
tweeting in the things. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> um, but anyway, they'll tell you. Uh, and I think that they can tell you, like, what your precinct is and stuff. So you should go vote. It's important. Election day, November 7th. November 7th. That's my husband's birthday. Good Lord. Everything. Scorpio's that all is. the way. Let me tell you. We're closing um, in. Okay. <laughs> that's. I think that's all. I think that's all we got. I think that's all we got. Cool. And that was quite a lot. You're yeah. welcome. Happy reading. Yeah. Happy reading. <laughs> are really not going to be able to tell us apart anymore. That's it for this edition of the Book Squad podcast. For more details on any of the books or events mentioned in this episode, visit our website, lplks.org. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe. Please rate or comment. It helps others find the podcast.